experts tend to give you their slides just before they go on in the mistaken belief that it's the most current and up-to-date and they've been tuning it based on the room, etc. Because they're going to fall short somewhere due to lack of preparation. So I think the big key point here, if you want to be good at improvisation, you have to be working off a strong base of knowing your material, whether you're a comedian or a presenter. Welcome to Think, Act, Get with James Shramko and Ezra Firestone. What you think determines how you act, which results in what you get. So join in now as we discuss how you can think differently, act faster, and get high performance results in your business. Hey there, listener. Welcome back to another episode of Think, Act, Get. Ezra Firestone here with my partner, as always, James Shramko. James, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic, Ezra. How are you going? You know, I am. I'm in recovery mode um, after my big event. It's um, it's always more energy output than I expect to uh, to pull one of these things off. But I'm feeling really good about it. Yeah, I find there's a few phases with running an event. There's the thinking about it phase, um, and then once I make the booking, then I feel a little bit of pressure to then think of coordinating all the things. And of course, we have a pretty comprehensive checklist now. And then there's the sort of in-between phase where not much happens. People buy some tickets. Then towards the end, you always think you're not going to fill it, but then there's a rush. And then there's the actual event looming phase where you're just about to put it on and you know, you've know got to make sure all the things arrive and everyone knows what they're doing. You haven't overlooked anything crazy. Then there's that fun part of delivering the event and it goes so quickly, doesn't it? It really does. It's just like flash in a pan, it's over, you know? And then it's done. And you, wow, pressure's off. And then you just have that little in-between holiday between that and when you rebook. Yeah, it it's really something. And the part you mentioned about being worried that nobody's going to book tickets, uh, well, the way that manifested for us this time was like we weren't so worried about how many tickets we sold, but we realized that like we had a hotel night minimum to hit. And every year it gets harder to hit that minimum because people are Airbnb and people are home awaying, like people are not using traditional hotels. And so like if we don't book those number of rooms, we got to foot that bill. You know, the hotel makes you commit yeah. to a certain number of nights. And so that was really stressful. This is just, it's the hard thing. Hotels are making us accommodation businesses. And it's, I don't think it's any worse anywhere in the world than Manly. The, this Novotel here, you know from previous episodes, they're like my arch nemesis. Yeah, you do struggle with them. <laughs> they they commit us to something like 75 room nights at $280 each, which I'm going to pay if people don't book it. And we have the most savvy audience in the world. I mean, these people make a living online as if they haven't heard of it, Airbnb. Right, right. Well, part of me thought, like, maybe just raise the ticket prices and include the hotel in it. Like, maybe it's like, if you want to come, you have to stay at the hotel, you know, because <laughs> like... Well, that's what I've done with the Maldives. I've found the solution, Ezra. You just hire the entire boat and then sell tickets on the boat for the business slash surf slash scuba slash swim with the manta ray type trip. So we all live together, eat together play together and work together for a week. So there's no Airbnb option for that trip. 
yeah, that's smart, you know, high-end experience and everything's included. I mean, it's just safer as the person putting on the event because I was looking at getting stuck with like a $60,000 hotel bill, which, listen, you know, luckily I'm in a place to be able to handle, but gosh, it's it's intense, you know, to confront that. But we figured it out. You know, we ended up bringing like 20 people ourselves, so that, that sort of helped, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we are. We're partway through uh, 2017. We're on the, on the other side of the halfway mark now, and this is, this is actually our third episode. Episode <laughs> number 72. Yes. Look at us go. Well, we do about one every two months. We're consistent. Yeah, we're, doing, we're, we're, we're moving at a, we're the tortoise, right? We're the tortoise in the hair, right? Slow and steady. We are winning the race, James. I was just at an event, actually. A hot tip. It's really easy doing someone else's event. <laughs> just show up, speak, meet some new people, and not have to worry about a thing. And I was talking a lot about the power of the podcast and how important that's been for my business. Looking back when we started in January 2013 on this show, we have put out some pretty interesting content and it has driven awareness for both of us. In that time, you've, of course, gone from almost ashes in the earth to... Relative obscurity. Deca multimillionaire. That's a crazy, amazing journey. And... I think podcasts are just going to become bigger and better because these days when I plug my phone into my car, it's it pulls up iTunes on the the monitor and you know in the screen there. It's just becoming mainstream. So I think we we're we're continuing on a winning formula here. I also think it's an easy type of content to consume and you can do it on the go and also like the people who listen to long form audio content are connected in as much as like it's a lot of content to consume so you actually have to like someone to be willing to listen to their show you know so i think you build really good relationships with subscribers that way one of the things by the way this episode is about improvisation because i didn't write the show notes listener and so we're going to improv it and and one of the things that's been coming up for me a lot is this concept of like moral line and honesty and what I, and in particular, what I mean by that. By the way, I just on that point, I just wanted to say, you know, my wife said to me yesterday, "Do you think Ezra's tired of making the show notes? Is that why he doesn't show up as often?" And I said, "You know, I should let him know. I really appreciate the amount of effort that goes into that. So if you ever want to pass the baton, and if that's an obstacle, you just let me know, my friend." I mean, that's certainly a major obstacle for me is the show notes. It's because I want the show to be good, and so I'm unwilling to submit a product that I don't – like, I'm not just going to quickly do it. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to make sure that if I'm showing up, I'm showing up with something real. I'm showing up with something that I approve of. I'm showing up with something that I care about. I'm not just going to wing it, you know? Uh, so I take it really seriously. That's so important, and and I'm at this stage in life now where I prepare and practice and pre-do and uh, it's been so fun presenting at events where I've done the, the presentation already two or three or four or five, in one case, seven or eight times, mm. and it gets better and more mature. So I'm, I'm putting in more work or prep work and then editing and then publishing. It's one of my beefs, actually, against Facebook Live videos. I think they're so amateurish. Because they're just like low quality and… and yeah. s- slapdash and ad hoc i think they can pull away Mm. from someone's brand sure they're getting engagement but what type of engagement just 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 a little curiosity knickknack there i like your produced videos and i certainly put more production into things as well 
Yeah. Well, what's interesting about this conversation is I just got back from this event and one of my big sort of thesis or one of my big main points was something that you've been saying for years, which is this farming versus hunting approach. Now that's not how I framed it, but the way I framed it was like, look, the bit, and I framed it through advertising because all my businesses are these ad model businesses where I'm paying for amplification to grow my brand. And kind of the way I put it was that like, I, the reason I see people failing is because they're putting investment in and expecting to get value out immediately. But the business is like a snowball, right? Like the more that you put in, the more consistently that you put in, the more value is available to extract, but at a later date. So you have to like invest in the snowball growing before you start to try to take from it, you know? So I tell people, hey, like give it a year and pick a certain amount of money that you're willing to invest in the amplification of your business as if it's not going to be there. Like you're just putting that in. And then a year from now, two years from now, then you start drawing upon the investment that you've created, right? You start harvesting after the mangoes have had a chance to grow on the tree after you've watered them every day over the course of six months, you know? And so like um, one of the big things that I see, particularly in e-commerce and particularly with folks who are trying to grow advertising businesses is that they're looking too quickly for, to reap the rewards of their investment. And I think that the better strategy, especially if like if you're running a marathon, if you're playing a long game, is to invest consistently over time and not look for that reward immediately, you know? Agree. We're making Grange. That's what my boss used to tell me. And Grange is a, a great red wine in Australia, just to give international listeners context. And it's been the theme of my event for many years. I always give away a bottle of Grange as a metaphor to remind people, this is a long game. I've been in this for over a decade now, which is crazy. I thought maybe I was too late to the market. But it just gets better and better if you have a long-term approach. That farming, as you said, instead of running around with a spear trying to make a laptop lifestyle today. <laughs> I like what you said about your investing with your ad model because I noticed that Revolution Golf just got snapped up by Golf TV and they – declared that they spent $25 million in advertising to accumulate 2 million subscribers. And I thought that was very instructive for me as I'm building a publishing site in the surf space. Mm. It is a long-term approach. Totally. I'm not looking to monetize it immediately, even though I make ad revenue already. That's just a little bit of cream. I'm still growing the milk in the milk bottle there. It's going to be a a bigger machine and I'm okay with that and because more or less the same thing happened with my SEO business it started out me doing it then I built a team and then I bought uh, actually I had over a thousand blogs at one point and then I made the blogs not required to get the links and then I sold the blogs then I sold the business and it was just an amazing ride but it was a seven-year ride if I look back it was it's it's not a next week, next month thing. So let's all think long term. And I'm looking forward to making these episodes for a long time. And Yeah, well, I'm excited about you doing the show notes. That's a big, big. Yeah, I'm happy to contribute with the show notes. So we should actually uh, at this point define what improvisation is. We normally do that. And I'm going to guess it's probably something to do with you know, making something from whatever is available in a spontaneous way. Uh, often we have a dictionary quote around it, but I'm sure it's something like that. Yeah, so it's something that's improvised, especially a piece of music, drama, etc., created without preparation, essentially. So you're creating it in the moment, on the spot, based on sort of the feedback that is available right then. And you know what's interesting about this conversation, James, in relationship to the event that I just did? Here's what I noticed. 
I noticed that the speakers that were not worried about their performance, the speakers that didn't have their attention on how they were doing were much better than the speakers who had their attention on themselves. So the speakers who were just in the moment and presenting and doing their thing and not sort of worried about how they were performing ended up coming across and being more well-received by the audience than the speakers who had attention on like their performance and were like super freaking out, you know? So essentially the speakers who had a more improvised approach, even though they were all prepared, they all had slides, but the speakers who were more willing to respond to sort of immediate feedback in the room did a better job. How long did you ask them to submit the slides in advance? I asked them all to submit the slides one month in advance and only one person did it. Right. <laughs> that is the thing. You know, I, same here. I, I asked for them early. I submit them early. I submitted my presentation for the event that I spoke at a month prior. So long that I'd almost forgotten what was in the slide deck. But I was able to open up the slide deck and then present a few times to myself, which is part of my standard operating procedure, is to go through the presentation at least a few times and see if I can pace it so that I'm able to deliver a better transformation for my audience. You do not want the first time you're doing a presentation to be in the room live because you gave it to the event organizer 20 minutes before you went on stage. And I'm consistently seeing... The most, uh, you know, air comma, important or special experts tend to give you their slides just before they go on in the mistaken belief that it's the most current and up-to-date and they've been tuning it based on the room, etc. because they're going to fall short somewhere due to lack of preparation. So I think the big key point here, if you want to be good at improvisation, you have to be working off a strong base of knowing your material, whether you're a comedian or a presenter. And when I'm presenting a topic for the sixth or seventh or eighth time, I know my material so well and I know the storyline, the through line of the presentation and I know what's coming down the track and I know how to pace it, that I'm able to then loosen up a bit and focus far more on working with the people in the room and the energy and and being able to take questions and to incorporate and make it more relevant because the baseline has been established and we're, yes. we're not going through that very initial phase of just getting it out of our mouth. Totally. And I, I like what you said because I feel the same way about like the ability to improvise is increased and sort of is more valuable if you have that strong base. If you really know your subject matter, then you can afford to improvise a bit. You can afford to, you know, go off script in a sense because you actually know what you're talking about, you know? <laughs> Same thing like in jujitsu, right? Which is a sport that I'm really involved in. It's like there's improvisation that happens, but it only comes from a solid sort of base or understanding or knowledge of the technique that you've practiced over and over and over again. That reminds me of Munger's mental models. You know, Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's right-hand man. He's the Warren Buffett guy, right? Yeah. yeah. So he he knows all these mental models, and it's like knowing you, you, uh, jiu-jitsu moves. He's got all the moves in his head, so when the, the scenario comes, he can process them. Now, I would say, in our case, a simple way of explaining this is if you have frameworks, you can improvise. So remember, I came from a direct selling background. I used to be on the showroom floor in the Mercedes-Benz dealership many, many moons ago. And when someone walked in, we had to react to that. And you can improvise. Like, of course, you've got great product knowledge. Of course, you're you know well-presented and polite. 
but from then on, it's a framework. So I used to use a sales framework to be able to improvise my way through each scenario effectively. Now, when I'm in an environment where I'm doing masterminds, guess what? I use frameworks because the framework brings out success. So I can give you an example of what we do on a weekly call each week in our mastermind. We have the win, challenge, one thing framework. And this framework allows us to improvise. It means I don't have to prepare in advance because I'm working with what gets brought to the table. Whatever someone comes to the table with, I can say, well, what's the biggest win? And that acknowledges their gratitude. It gives them an appreciation of progress. And then we can work with the challenge, which is where they need help right now. And that draws on my database and the others in in the room as well or on the call. And then the one thing is just setting or programming the target, the goal between now and next week, which just reduces all other options and gets total clarity. So having a framework will help you improvise. Absolutely. Because there's a structure there for which that you can depart from, but then return to, you know, I wanted to just quickly hop back before I forget to what we were talking about before about the investment and tell you where I really saw this lesson come to play, which is I have had the opportunity over the last uh, three years or so to advise nine figure and above physical product e-commerce brands. So basically one of my friends is a board member of a private equity and, and venture capital firm. So basically what they do is they pay him a salary to vet deals. So all these guys who have venture capital, private equity, for those of you who don't know, are like a bunch of people with money who want to invest that money for a return on that money. And so one of the things they're doing right now is buying e-commerce businesses. And so what they do is they look for deals in the 50 million and above range purchase price, um, sometimes several hundred million to purchase. And they, when they have a deal that they think is good, they go to this guy and they say, hey, can you vet this deal? Can you look at the analytics? Can you tell us whether or not it's a viable offer, whether or not it looks like a good business to buy. And then so what he does, he then comes to me and says, hey, will you look at this deal and vet this deal and look at the analytics and tell me whether or not I think it's good. So I've been looking at like the analytics, the ads accounts, the emails of these businesses that are several times the size of my direct to consumer physical product business. And I kept seeing one thing over and over and over again. And it kind of changed the way that I looked at my business and I think ultimately helped me scale. So what I was seeing was that they, all of them, every one of them, and I looked at like 10 ha- over this time frame where I got like in-depth look at them. Every one of them had one thing in common, which was they had one channel of visibility that supported every other channel of visibility. So they basically would have like email or organic traffic or Facebook that made a whole bunch of money. And then they would be spending all kinds of capital on a bunch of other channels, Instagram, Pinterest, Google, YouTube, joint ventures, whatever, to acquire customers at a loss. And the way they were looking at it was dollar in, dollar out. And the way that I looked at advertising was like, because I started bootstrapped with no money, it either works or it doesn't. If it doesn't work, turn it off. And what they were doing was saying, okay, we have, you know, we're making $100,000 a month in profit over here. Let's take 90,000 of that and invest it in customer acquisition on these other channels. Because then at the, at the holidays or at the next sale event, we're going to run a sale and we're going to have more customers than anyone else. So when we run that sale, we're going to make a whole bunch of money from those customers that we acquired even at a loss because we have them on our list now. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So like dollar in, dollar out for marketing rather than this campaign works or it doesn't, which is how I viewed it. Well, I think the big factor here, the difference really in the two models is just timing. You've given it, you've given a cohort a longer time to prove themselves. And I've found 
just from my own research, you know, some of my customers can take up to seven or eight years to buy from me. Wow. (laughs) Like, they're like, I've been listening to your podcast. Now, we just sent out an email to a small group of my databases, three or 4,000 emails of people who are collecting emails from me and never opening them. And we've sent them an email that said, hey, um, this could be the last email. I'm getting all these replies. Hey, James, you know, I'm, I I love getting your podcast. I haven't been opening emails, but I always subscribe to iTunes. So thank you for what you're doing. Keep sending out the podcasts. Uh, I'd still want to get your emails. So I think people are um, they're there, but you just can't necessarily see them. And and like if they're not clicking on the emails, and I can't really get great analytics from iTunes about individuals. It's just nice to know they are, they're actually there, so don't dismiss them too easily. And um, and it's a long game, like we said before, isn't it? Yeah, totally. And like you know, being willing to take that risk, you know, being willing to invest in your company. I'm not saying invest, uh, you know, to the point of pain, but I think that there's sort of more that you could invest than you're probably willing, you know. I'll tell you something that, um, really interesting on this and, and on the pure topic of improvisation, which is just working with what we've got. I've learned more about myself in the last month or two doing this brand new activity that I've never been doing before than, than many of the other things that I've ever learned. It's, it's fascinating. There is a $5 trillion a day market out there called Forex and I've been learning from a friend of mine who's a professor of psychology, his particular way of trading Forex. I wasn't ready for it before, but I'm ready for it now because um, there's two parts to business, really. There's one part is figuring out how to get some money. And then the second part is, okay, once you've got it, how do you keep it slash magnify, leverage it, etc. And in my case, my new passion or hobby or interest is Forex trading. And it is absolutely fascinating it is such a mindset game and you can apply that beginner's mind to it and i've been trading most weeks lately just small amounts just learning the ropes going through that process with a three to five year outlook to be good at it not expecting to be good tomorrow and that's really what we're talking about before you don't expect a result instantly but that skill once learned and understood can be an extremely valuable skill. So just thought I'd throw that in there for what it's worth. So what are you uh what are you finding? What are you what are you learning about yourself that Well, you you know, when you when you place the trades, you know, it's either it's either gonna go your way or against you. And so you start learning about risk reward and risk ratios and if you change your behavior from when you place a trade to what you were prepared to accept before if you try and bail out early or if you let losses run too long. Like Warren Buffett talks about protecting your capital is the number one thing. So there's just so much to it. It's it's probably an entire podcast series to, to explain it. But to start out with, if you're interested in this, I do recommend uh, Professor Walter Peters' book. Not It's called Naked Forex or something along those lines. And um, surprisingly, it's an extremely expensive book. Uh, it's called Naked Forex, High Probability Techniques for Trading Without Indicators. I love this idea of trading without indicators because it's just so much simpler than getting all confused about stock markets, etc. So it's actually quite an expensive ebook. 
and it's it's just uh, it's going to take a few reads to get the hang of. And we can develop this conversation later, but I just wanted to share this as uh, as something that uh, I find fascinating. It's poss- possibly the biggest market in the world. I'm not 100 percent sure, but it's just huge. And wow, yeah, I'd be curious to know. So your goal is to make money in this. Obviously, that's like it's a business opportunity. Yes, but I'm actually really enjoying it. Think of it more like a Pokemon that pays or you know, any anyone who's gaming or candy crushing or farm building or whatever the games are these days I've always gamed right I've liked Call of Duty and Gran Turismo and it, it helped me through my career playing Gran Turismo and the strategy around it mm. you know building up a fast car to win races and mm. getting it's very similar it's tapping into the same stuff probably not dissimilar to to uh, what's going on when you keep logging into Facebook but this is you know, this is a, it's just an app you can have on your phone when you hook up with the broker and you can actually move money between currencies. See, I already trade currencies anyway. I collect US dollars and I'm collecting Australian dollars and I pay out money in US dollars and Australian dollars and Philippine pesos. So the thing is like, let's just imagine if, if you had a stockpile of, uh, know, let's say a million dollars sitting there in cash in your bank account. Just moving it between one currency and another could get you a fifty or wow. or a hundred thousand dollar per month sure, sure. transfer price differential. So, it's, it's actually serious stuff. And some people use this as a business. So there's institutional investors like banks, and then there's retailers like us. We can just go to the market and and do it. But the big difference between a retail investor and a bank, which Walter talks about is that the banks have stop-loss limits. You know, if you lose a certain percentage or they won't let you risk more than a percentage of your profile and they'll keep you out of the market. Have you ever seen that the TV show Millions, I think it is? Billions, I think. Yeah, so yes. where there's it's a stockbroking firm and they have a psychologist helping the stockbrokers. Do you know when they get burnt out or... I'm not sure if that, is it billions. I can't remember. I think I think it might be billions. I haven't actually seen it, but I've seen the uh, yeah, I've seen the commercials for it. Yeah, I think it's billions because the the cover art doesn't look familiar. Yeah, billions. In billions, there's a psychologist helping the traders deal with risk and stop you know making terrible mistakes. That is the big difference between a, a bank and even they go wrong sometimes. And a private investor, private investor is going to do terrible psychological things you know to try and win back if they're like a gambler mentality they're going to definitely lose money most people lose money i just want to say that <laughs> just out the front so, so don't take this yeah. as an endorsement to go start definitely training. not i would say like I, I think the same skills that you and i have in business and that probably many of our listeners have can be applied into new markets but anyway it's it's just a, it's just fun for me and i'm not risking anything that i wouldn't be prepared to lose at this right. point while i'm learning i've got my training wheels yeah. on it don't bet with money you can't afford to lose number one rule of poker all the best traders will practice trade and they'll back trade and so you do all of this you should be paper trading at least before you use real money for quite some time to to build up your muscle so just don't get out there and stick your entire 401k on this that's not what i'm talking about at all for sure well i mean i think this is you know the the number one rule in poker is don't play with money you can't afford to lose i mean that is like exactly the first thing you learn you know day one but uh, look a lot of people in our space are all talking about cryptocurrency and they're wildly excited about that and and that was 
that was sort of interesting to me and I got into that market and then I got out of the market and then it seemed to crash a bit. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go with... Well, I mean, people are t- treating it like an investment, not like a currency, right? It's not being treated like a currency. Yeah. So I'm going to, you know, when people start talking about it all over Facebook, you know it's time to bail out. It was tulip mania. So I got out and then it all collapsed. And I'm just interested in the the bigger, more established market that's going to be around for ages. Yeah, I think that's fair. I want to bring up something. Let's talk about improvisation. Yeah. Um, just one more sec. Okay. A couple of other techniques that you can use to improvise is observation. If you know your material well, it gives you time to actually look around and process information and see what you can utilize in your immediate environment. And I think that's an important cornerstone for improvisation it's it's uh it's observing the the scenario you're in so that you have things to work off like you can use physical cues or behavioral cues or just being aware of of your target market so that you can adapt and make it relevant for them yeah i think that's i think that's i think awareness is the, the first step in improvisation because you have to be paying enough attention to what's going on to be able to improvise, which is why I think the people who didn't have attention on themselves and rather had their attention on the room did a better job on stage because they had more surplus attention, more surplus awareness for what was going on than the folks who had all of their attention on their own performance, meaning like meaning on like how they were doing, right? Yeah, and of course, the bigger your experience, if you have a bigger experience bank, then you can get really good at recognizing patterns and you can get that sense, oh, I've seen this scenario before, like a comedian would do. They will, they'll feel how the room is, is reacting and then they'll know from previous experiences where they might go. They'll have an intuition that's guided by past behaviors and, and they'll be able to work that room better. Totally. Uh, I came out against goji berries at my event. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I just like, I needed to take a break. Um, so I was like, Hey, listen guys, I'm going to take a break and have a couple blueberries. And that got me. And then I just went on this whole improvised run about, <laughs> about blueberries <laughs> and why they were so much better than goji berries. <laughs> and, uh, I- isn't, uh, aren't there more antioxidants in cacao, cacao uh, the chocolate powder? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that everyone's touting the goji berry, this weird, wrinkled, dry thing that, by the way, doesn't look very much, very berry like to me. You know, that, they don't taste that good. If you have them in an acai berry bowl, that's kind of like chewy and they can get stuck in your teeth. Yeah. And they just came out of nowhere. You know who's been here since day one? Blueberries. The blueberry. <laughs> you know who's been here not making a big fuss? The blueberry. And in fact, what I'll do is I'll, I'll cut that little – it was like probably the most popular part of the actual event was this this run on blueberries that was just 100% improvised. And I'm going to post it under this show as soon as I – I'll get the recording on like Wednesday. So Yeah, that would be fantastic. Um, now, often we talk about listener comments and we roll Carol yeah. and we talk about news and updates. We should probably just s- stick them in here somewhere as an improv. Yeah, okay. So uh, quickly – Hey, let's roll Carol. Weekly willpower wager. Roll Carol. <laughs> Thanks, Carol. Uh, weekly willpower wager. Do we have one this week, James? Yeah. The weekly willpower wager is to prepare more for something than you would normally prepare for, okay? Mm. So if you have a presentation, a webinar, a podcast, or a meeting to go to within the next week, then write it down, do a few drafts, edit it, Practice it, 
before you go and let us know in the comments how that presentation went. If you felt that you had more ability to step back and work with the room's energy better, if you if you feel it was you were able to transform people more because of that preparation. We also, by the way, we love comments on our iTunes. If you want to give us a rating, um, especially a five star, that's always well received. We do often read them out and we will in the prepared episodes that we're going to be uh, doing in the future. So uh, what else have we got there, Ezra? Should we do news? Yeah. Uh, well, I got you know one quick piece of content that I want to just intersperse, which is this thing that I brought up at the beginning that about this like integrity and moral line and honesty. And like the reason that's coming up for me is because I have felt like as I've grown as a company, as I've scaled, that there's been opportunities that have come up for me to compromise my integrity. There's been corners that have been available to cut. And, um, you know, that I feel like that happens a lot. Like as you sort of grow an organization, then like there becomes like, for example, in manufacturing process is one where it came up or like, there's just these opportunities for you to cut corners that, that show up and like, it can be tempting because maybe you'll save a little money or whatever, you know? And so, I just want to remind folks, I'm curious about your thoughts on this, but that like, you know, every time that I've tried to cut a corner, even if like, obviously if there's something that's like a moral line, I'll never cross it. But if I've tried to take a shortcut in general, then I've sort of felt like, ah, maybe this is a shortcut and maybe I shouldn't do this. Every time I've done it, it's not paid off. It's been a negative experience. And so like I've, I have, I'm happily relearning that lesson that really this idea that you're going to take some shortcut is maybe not the best strategy. Maybe the strategy, the better strategy is like, do the work. If you feel like something is not right, it's probably not right. You know, trust that feeling rather than, you know, denying it. I don't even know what I'm trying to articulate here. Maybe you can help me. Um, well, I think what the phenomenon we're talking about here could be labeled as false economy. There's, it's seemingly a shortcut. It's like crossing town to get, five dollar dry cleaning instead of having ten dollar dry cleaning right in your neighborhood except that you're paying ten dollars in a taxi fare to do the round trip so you end up paying more to get the cheaper dry cleaning which is going to be a crappier job anyway probably so exactly i remember when i was uh, in the mercedes-benz showroom sometimes people would talk about you know huge discounts they'd want They'd want the Mercedes-Benz, but they'd want to pay like a Mazda or Toyota price. And I'm like, well, that it, it just doesn't work that way. In fact, there's a John Ruskin quote, it's unwise to pay too little. And it's this whole rant about, look, if, you, if you're going to pay less for a supply or whatever, you should, or a service provider, you probably should allow a margin for something to go wrong because there's very little that can be provided for less, that um, can't be made with less quality or... You know, they're going to cut corners. Like if you pay someone too little, they're going to have to moonlight to supplement it. And then they start getting doing, delivering crappier work. If you, if you undercut a tradesman on a job, he's going to probably use cheaper nails or not worry so much about how straight he's going to cut the piece of timber or, or what type of cement he's using to put those pillars in. So he's, John Ruskin says if you're going to allow a margin for things to go wrong, you might as well just add that to whatever you're paying and then just get the proper job done in the first place. So coming from a Mercedes-Benz pedigree, uh, standing for, for good 
brand value. Even the surfboards that I surf are, are really well constructed. They're not copies. There's any number of copies of good boards. I just get the good board and they last and they're beautiful and they're amazing. They're like functional art. So, yeah, I, I'm on your page, Ezra. Do it right. Invest for the long haul. People will notice. They know what your values are and how you stand. And, and the other thing is, wouldn't it be stupid to get tripped up in three to five years from now or some little legal case or, you know, class act or government action that unwinds all the good work you've done and causes you to have some kind of penalty or, or you know, go and do community service or something because you did a fudgy on a form or, or whatever. Like, this just ridiculously short-sighted yes. and, uh, I'm, yeah, yeah. Play, play it straight, go the long haul and... Uh, you'll sleep well at night and life's better. I love it. Well, with that said, news and updates is James Schramko's taking over show notes for Think Act Get, and we'll probably produce more shows because of it. So <laughs> We will. And we've got a couple coming soon, hopefully, uh, subject yes. to the schedules staying the same way. From my news perspective, it's pretty straightforward. I'm heading off to the Maldives shortly, and there's only a handful of spots left on this luxury liner, fully catered, Aqua clear water and uh, sunbeds do nothing, do everything, surf, snorkel, scuba dive, whatever you want. It's not necessarily a surf trip, but there will be surfing. It is a getaway from your business where you can have me and a few others helping you for a week. You will come back. I just spent a week in Fiji with a buddy of mine, Brent Mailman. Big shout out to Brent. In Fiji, I helped him push together an ebook that he's been working on for months and finally we made this deadline and the week we got back he published it he paid for his fiji trip in the first day of sales not even the first day like first half a day great things happen when you have a deadline and you step outside your your normal zone as you know like i learned to surf at our hawaii retreat it was a life changer it can be that significant i've had people learn how to breathe for the first time in their life with breath training mm. that we do on the boat. So that's my news. What do you got, Ezra? What about your app, your, your Zipify thing? That seems good. Yeah, it's going super well, man. We have a 16-person developer team. We've got 2,500 paying members. We have our first big public launch, like where we're like getting joint venture partners and really coming out to the public on September 12th. And uh, we're now, for actually just today, in the Shopify app store. So Check us out. I think that uh, we're going going places with that. Uh, so if you're an e-commerce business owner, specifically on the Shopify platform, we can help. You know. So um, I look forward to the next one. This show is about you, our listener. You know what you think determines how you act, which results in what you get. Think, act, get. You know. Um, so thank you for listening. This show's been on improvisation. My name is Ezra Firestone with my partner, as always, James Shramko. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, we just uh, we just improvised an entire episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, hope hopefully there's some interesting topics for you. And please, if you've got topic suggestions or there's something you'd love us to talk about, knowing a bit about Ezra, his banana addiction, <laughs> a little bit about me and my surfing addiction, uh, then ask us a question. We answer the emails that you get when you sign up at thinkatget.com. Go and put your email address in there. We'll let you know when there's a new episode. And you can also reply to that email with episode suggestions or any comments. We also take comments in our blog. And we love, uh, by the way, if you like this show, 
and you want to share it with someone who you think would get something from the message, please do a social share. Tag Ezra, tag me. We both have pretty active social followings and we probably retweet or or acknowledge that as well. So I uh, just want to say how much we appreciate you, our listener. You've been listening to thinkactget.com. Sweet. This has been another episode of Think, Act, Get with James Schramko and Ezra Firestone. For more tips and tutorials on how to grow your business faster, visit thinkactget.com and join the newsletter. It's free.